0: Let me pray for us as we get started today. Father God, we are here to worship you. We are here to uh, be in your presence. God, I don't want my words to be the ones spoken today. I want your words to be spoken. Holy Spirit, open our hearts, open our ears to hear from you today. Thank you that your word is fresh and knew that your word is living and active, God, that's what we want. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this presence, into this place, so that you can speak to us. We praise you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I want you to think about something for me. Think about your first job. What was your first job? How old were you? when you got your first job. For me, I remember doing many sorts of odd jobs. I did babysitting for neighborhood families. I would go and shovel snow and and mow lawns, rake leaves, all that sort of thing. But my first formal job, my first official job, the one where I had to pay taxes, was at an apartment complex. And so what I would do is I was the weekend uh, office person, office desk person at the uh, apartment complex, which meant that Saturday mornings for four hours, I would sit at the desk. I would file paperwork that had been uh, building up throughout the week. I would uh, also be in charge of helping people who came in who were looking for uh, prospective apartments. So I would give them the tour of our open spaces. I would Uh, walk them through any questions that they had, help them uh, through the application process, run a credit check, all of those things. And it sounds like a pretty decent job for a first job and four hours on a weekend. That's not too bad. The problem was I was 16 years old. 16 years old, hadn't ever thought about renting my own place, hadn't understood what credit checks were. And so I was totally out of my element with this, first job, and it showed. I think, I don't know for sure, but I think that the uh, numbers kind of tanked with me being there on the weekends, because people came in, and they saw this 16-year-old scrawny kid trying to sell them an apartment, trying to rent them an apartment, and he didn't know what he was doing, and they didn't want to rent from a place that didn't seem to know what they were doing, and so After a few months, I was let go from that position, and it was actually a a mutually beneficial ending because uh, it helped them out, return their uh, losses, and it helped me out because I was definitely not cut out for that job, especially as a 16-year-old. How do you decide what is the right job for you? How do you know what to do for your job? How do you know what to do for your career? That's a very personal question. It has to do with your specific skill set, your specific personality makeup. It has to do with uh, your talents and gifts, your passions. Some people take a while to figure out what those are. Some people figure out, or have to figure out exactly how God made them, and that's okay. There are uh, tools, there are uh, tests that you can use to help figure that out. You can take personality tests, you can take skill tests to see what bent is right for you, what might be some options for you. But it also depends on your current life situation. You might know what you want to do long term, you might have your dream job, but What about the here and now? You need something here while you're working towards the the job that you are called to. For my mom, she is uh, an elementary school teacher. She's very passionate about teaching elementary school. She's done it for years and has loved it. But for a season, when I was young and my siblings were young, she was a stay-at-home mom. So she had been teaching elementary school. Then when we were born, she stayed home and, and helped raise us until we were at the age where we could go to school, and then she went back to work. So depending on your life situation, depending on the season that you're in, that also determines what your job situation looks like. Each one of us has been given the responsibility by God to do the work that He's given us to do. He wants us to be good stewards of the people and the resources that He's put into our care. So as a church, we've been going through this year-long study of the book of Acts. We have uh, taken it from the beginning and, and seen how God mobilized his people to uh, reach the world. started very small and uh, eventually spread to the ends of the earth, which is the name of our series. And this mission that is given by Jesus starts right away at the beginning in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And we've talked about this many times. That Jesus said to his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so that's what we've seen as we've gone through this study for the last seven months, eight months. The whole last half of the book of Acts is all about the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys. And so for the last several weeks, we've talked about his trips to Thessalonica, to Berea. Last week, uh, Pastor Adam talked about how he was in Athens and, and the amazing experience that he had there preaching to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and teaching them what it meant to worship the God who they didn't know and what it, who this God was and how he wanted to have a relationship with them. So we're going to continue this story today in Acts chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 1. So if you have your Bibles with you today, I invite you to open up to Acts 18 verse 1. There are Bibles in the pew in front of you. You can also use your uh, Bible app on your phone. The words will be on the screen as well, but there's just something powerful about having the tangible Word of God in your hands as you read. All right, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. After this... His time in Athens, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. And so Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the Word of God. Now the Word of God is living and active, so every time we read it, He has something fresh to teach us. And so my prayer for you is that God would open your ears and your hearts to hear what he's speaking to you today. So I want you to spend some time throughout this week reflecting on this. Spend some time uh, chewing on it as you go throughout your, your week and spend time with family and friends. Talk about it. Think about this. What is God speaking to you through this passage? We see in this passage that God has given Paul the responsibility of two different types of work. His primary calling is to share the gospel with everyone he meets, to tell everyone the message about Jesus and his death, his resurrection, and the forgiveness of sins that he made possible, the restored relationship with God that we can have when we put our trust in him. But we also get this chance to see a bit into Paul's personal life. We see that he had been taught and trained to be a tent maker, to learn this trade of, of building a, a structure of, of sewing and, and putting together these pieces. We don't know who taught him this trade. We don't know whether it was a family business that he was raised up in or whether it was a, an apprenticeship mentor type of situation. But we know that it was Jewish custom that every young man was trained in some sort of trade. And we see this in Lots of different examples. Uh, for example, Jesus was trained as a carpenter. Right? So even people who uh, would one day be teachers and, and rabbis, like Paul, was trained as a Pharisee under uh, Gamaliel. He was also taught and trained to be a tent maker. So he learned this trade, and, and we see here that he used it to finance part of his ministry. So when Paul met uh, Aquila and Priscilla and found out that they also made tents for a living, he stayed with them, and he worked with them in Corinth. And I find this interesting, because we don't usually ask the question, how did Paul fund his missionary journeys? We don't usually ask where the money came from. We know that uh, Paul wrote in some of his letters about uh, donations from one group of believers in one city to help out a group of believers in another city, We see that, for example, donations being collected to bring to the church in Jerusalem. But it doesn't specifically say that Paul received financial support from uh, these believers, but we can assume that that was sometimes the case. But here we see Paul working during the day in his trade, and then he's teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. He's sharing the gospel, but not all the time. So what stood out to me as I read this passage was that one of the most famous people in the early church was not always in full-time ministry. In fact, it wasn't until he was joined by Silas and Timothy, it says, that he was able to uh, exclusively focus on preaching. So they were able to help support him as he was preaching, but not the entire time. It wasn't until they got there. We often have this idea that the people who do ministry as a career, uh, full-time pastors or missionaries, we get this feeling that they are somehow better Christians than the rest of the church. You may not even have said that out loud to yourself, but I guarantee you felt it. I guarantee that it's been a thought. I've had that thought. When we have our church picnic here in two weeks at Silver Lake and we have the baptisms and, and enjoy that on the 21st, who's going to be asked to pray before the meal? Pastor Adam, right? Why? Because subconsciously, or maybe consciously, we have this belief that he is somehow more qualified because he is the senior pastor, because he has uh, been the leader of our church, and so he's the one that can pray. The rest of us aren't qualified enough to pray before the meal. Why? Why not someone else? Why can't we have the retired businessman pray before the meal? Why can't we have the stay-at-home mom pray before our church picnic meal? We all have the same Holy Spirit. We all have been given the same access to God the Father in prayer, right? So we should have this idea that we are all equals. But, uh, in the sight of God. What I see here in the Apostle Paul is that reminder that preaching the gospel does not depend on what you do for your career. It doesn't depend on how much money you have. It doesn't depend on your current life situation. Because preaching the gospel should be a way of life for every Christian. You don't have to be in full-time formal ministry in order to be qualified to preach the gospel. We're called to preach the gospel no matter where we are, where we work, or where we live. And this is the point of the Great Commission, right? In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says to his disciples, these final instructions, he says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Jesus' words aren't saying that you need to go overseas in order to make disciples. He's not saying that you need to go across the country in order to make disciples. Some people are called to do that. But he is saying, Jesus is saying, that as you go throughout your life, wherever you go, when you go to work, to to the grocery store, in your neighborhood, then that's where you're commanded to make disciples. Not just those with seminary degrees and bookshelves full of theology textbooks all of us, it's for every believer, we all have been given the same Holy Spirit. We've all been given the power of God to change the world with the gospel. We've all been given the Great Commission to make disciples. Some people are called to full-time ministry. Some people are called to go overseas. But we're all called to share the message of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and the forgiveness of sins and the restored relationship With God the Father. There's a famous quote often attributed to Saint Francis of Assisi. He said, "Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words." Have you heard that? It's pretty famous. I like this quote. I I like the idea that our whole lives should be showing others who Jesus is and what He has done in us. People will see how we treat others. People will see the, the way that we interact, the kindness and love that we show, and that will make them want to believe in Jesus. And that's good. That's, that's the way it should be, right? But if I'm honest, you know another reason why I like this quote? It's because I'm lazy. It's because I don't want to have to do the hard work deep down inside. If I'm honest with myself, I don't like having to tell people that they are sinners in need of salvation, that they can't get it on their own. Because people don't like being told that, right? I, I don't like rocking the boat. I don't like stirring up conflict. I don't like making people frustrated with me. And so crossing that line, stepping outside of my comfort zone can be tough. So I like the idea that I can share the gospel without actually having to say anything. But I want to caution you, Church, so that you don't make the mistake of swinging more to one side or the other of this pendulum. We're called to preach the gospel wherever we go, whether it's at work, at home, or in the community. And our whole lives should reflect what Jesus is doing within us, but we must also preach the gospel. We must also use our words to tell people about Jesus. Just letting our actions do the talking is not good enough. I have a friend who's a missionary in Asia. I can't tell you where in Asia, but he told me this story about how he saw someone who needed help. He was in the marketplace, and he saw this older gentleman. And so he said, this is my chance to go and and show this man the, the love of Jesus. And so he went over to help this man carry whatever he was carrying and and he was obviously struggling with it so my friend helped him out, spent some time, he went out of his way, took some uh, time sacrifice to help this gentleman. And as he walked away, he said, thank you Lord for letting me share your love with that man. And then he heard the man uh, approached by a stranger and the stranger said, do you know who that man was? And my friend was walking away, and he heard the man that he had helped say, No, I don't know who he was, but he must be a good Buddhist. Your actions can make people think that you're a good person, but they don't specifically tell people who Jesus is. They don't tell people the reason for the hope that you have. They just might think that you're a good person. We need to follow the example of Paul. We want to choose to make sharing Jesus a a way of life, something that we do wherever we are, wherever we go, whoever we're with, but we want to share the gospel with our actions and our words. It doesn't matter if you're in full-time ministry. All of us are called to do it. So let's be the church because that's what it means to be the church. Let me pray for us. Father, this is what we want. We want to be people who proclaim your truth to those around us. We want to be people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that even means to our neighbors, to the people who live next door, to the people who work next door. And God, I pray for boldness, that we would be people who boldly proclaim the truth, not just live it out with our actions, but speak the truth about who you are. We want to be a bold and active and courageous church. Light that fire in us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to end our service with our uh, closing benediction, so I invite you to stand and say this with me. We are the church. We have received power from the Holy Spirit. We are Jesus's witness to the world. We will give the love of Jesus to each other, to our community, and to the ends of the earth because we are the church. I want to remind you again, we have our benevolence offering. The ushers will be at the back as you leave the commons. And then we also have prayer counselors who will be over in this back corner. So if you are in need of prayer, you can head over there and they will talk with you and pray with you. Go in peace. Enjoy this week. Blessings.